At the outset, nothing in this podcast should be interpreted as legal advice. Further, the views or opinions expressed in this podcast do not represent those of the university. Please email campbelllawreporter at email.campbell.edu for any media inquiries and third-party distributions. Let's imagine that you have already started a new company and you want to make sure that your company is charitable and has a plan in place for when you decide to retire. Our next guest can help you answer those questions. He is a certified financial planner and he collaborates with tax advisors, attorneys, and insurance professionals to help meet the financial objectives of the clients that he serves. He has been named the top advisor in the state of New Mexico by both Forbes and Barron's. And he was also recognized as one of the 2020 Financial Times 400 top advisors. He is also proud to serve on the board of the New Mexico Christian Foundation. And in his free time, he's a sports enthusiast and spends that time watching and playing and coaching basketball, especially watching the Portland Trailblazers with his wife and their two sons. Up next on the Campbell Law Reporter, financial planner, CKA, CFP, Brian Cochran. Welcome to the Campbell Law Reporter Podcast. This legal podcast strives to expand Campbell University's mission to lead with purpose by reporting with purpose. We hope to breathe new life into the dusty reporters on the shelves by reporting the content through captivating discussions. Our mission is to provide current and interesting reporting on legal topics affecting today's professionals. Listeners can expect to hear from various hosts throughout the year. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Campbell Law Reporter. My name is Stephen Dinkle. I am your host for today's episode. I have the privilege with talking to CFP CKA Brian Cochran. He is a guru in this field, and I hope that this episode brings you some enlightenment. Brian, can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So I am the uh, owner and operator of a financial planning company called John Moore Associates. I had the joy of um, taking over the firm from our founder, John Moore, uh, who is a pioneer in our industry and just an all-around great guy. Uh, I've been in the financial services industry since 2006, and my role is I lead our business. So uh, I am the sole shareholder of our S-Corp, and also I uh, serve about 200 families as their personal financial advisor. So our company provides both financial planning and investment management services for families. And we do serve a few um, nonprofits and business entities, but almost everyone we work with is a family or small business owner trying to make good decisions with their money. Brian, there seems to be this myth that if you're a small business owner that you can't really compete or plan for retirement like these big entities that have these massive plans that everybody's buying into. Is that really a myth? I think it can be a little more daunting for a business owner um, simply because it's more on your own shoulders. Like you said, if you're working for a large employer, things are offered to you that you can use, whether it's a 401k plan or you're offered a pension. Uh, If you're a longtime employee with a larger company, things are simply handed to you and all you have to do is enroll. As a small business owner, you have to make the decision as to what plans do I want to enroll in for myself for the benefit of my employees. Uh, But thankfully, there's a lot of opportunities out there. So as long as you're intentional about it and you know what the values of your company are and what your priorities are and you're willing to take the time to be wise with your uh, finances as a business owner, 
Uh, I think there's lots of opportunities out there, and it doesn't have to be this very intimidating or impossible task to not only save for your own retirement, but also open opportunities for your employees uh, to build their own financial security for the future. That's music to my ears. So let's paint a little hypothetical. Let's say you have just started your new business and you want to create these type of uh, programs for your employees. What type of things would you suggest that a new business owner or a small business owner should do to be competitive with those big plans that those large companies have? Well, I think one of the first things for small business owners is to plan enough uh, capacity in your um, business plan that employee benefits, including for yourself as an employee, you know, that's part of the construct, that you're not just barely paying salaries and barely paying your rent, but make sure you're billing for your services at a level that creates capacity to focus on good employee benefits, whether that's health insurance, retirement plans, life and disability insurance, you know, all sorts of different things that are out there. What I see with a lot of small business owners is their business model is simply constructed around barely scraping by, and therefore they never build that capacity necessary to to do this sort of planning that's required. And then once you have that plan in place, uh, whether it's personal finances or business uh, finances, you need to have a plan, a financial plan. And we define financial planning as the uh, predetermined allocation of the limited resources you have amongst all the ever-changing alternatives. So you need to decide ahead of time, okay, I have X dollars coming in the door, and I'm going to allocate 15% for benefits for myself and my employees, or I'm going to allocate 10%. You need to predetermine that that's a priority, uh, and then continue to reevaluate that on a regular basis to ensure that you're giving good benefits and that you're putting enough aside to meet your goals uh, as a business owner so that when the day comes that you either can't work anymore or you don't want to work anymore, that you've given yourself that financial independence to step away from the business uh, when the time's right. Um, So that's key is just planning for it and making sure that that's a priority just as much as paying your rent uh, or, you know, keeping the lights on in the business. Now, we know there are some benefits for the business owner to create these type of financial plans or retirement options for their employees. But really, are there more benefits for the business owner in general for creating those type of plans to make sure that their employees and themselves can uh, save for retirement? A lot of the benefits swirl around taxes. So a lot of the retirement plans in particular give you ability to tax, or excuse me, to save on a pre-tax basis. So you're reducing your current tax liabilities while saving for yourself. It's a pretty magical thing if you think about it. The government's actually incentivizing you to take care of your own future. And so, you know, a lot of those tax benefits can really add up to be several thousand dollars a year depending on how much you're saving. So that's really key. And one of the things I hate to see is that people leave those tax benefits on the table because most retirement plans and other tax benefit type options have an annual limit as to how much you can put in. So if you're every year that passes, if you're not taking advantage of those opportunities, you know, there's only so much of that saving you have the ability to do over the course of your career. So yeah, getting the tax benefits there uh, is key. I think also just the psychological and emotional benefits though for your employees. It shows that you care about them if you're making a matching contribution to a retirement plan. Um, it makes you a more um, 
attractive employer for people in a very competitive job market. It helps you retain employees. I mean, there's a lot of good things there. And as a business owner, I know for our employees, I think we have a fairly generous benefits package. I feel good that I'm taking good care of my people and, and their families have you know, good health insurance coverage, good life insurance coverage, good retirement plan benefits, uh, health savings accounts to help cover their medical expenses. I like, you know, every time our payroll goes out, I like knowing that a certain percentage of our payroll is going towards those types of benefits to take care of the people that I care about uh, so that they can take care of the clients that we serve. That sounds like something to me that makes the culture at your job very positive. That makes me feel like the employees want to work there because they know that the employer is investing into their future as an employee. And then the employer knows that they're going to get a good return by treating their employees well. Exactly. And there's all different scales of that. Sometimes it's just having a, a 401k with a match. Uh, but I've also talked to people who they actually pay for the uh, employees to work with a professional financial advisor so that they know that they're getting the opportunity to plan their future. There's a lot of creative things you can do in this area, but uh, I think the key is just to open the door for your employees to have access to different tools and then find ways to encourage that. And I can't emphasize the retention part of this enough because we're in an environment right now that stats are showing that probably more than ever people are willing to look at other em employers uh, we have a lot of fluctuation and, and people looking at different job opportunities. And so, you know, if you want to retain your employees, give them a reason to stay. Give them generous benefits. And it may seem like an expense now, but it's a lot cheaper than losing employees. Uh, and again, I wouldn't think of it so much as an expense as much as an investment into that person. Um, and what I've found over time is if you invest in your people, they're more willing to invest in your clients and your customers uh, through good relationships, good service, the things that you want to have every day in your business. So it's kind of a no-brainer in my mind to have something there. Again, I think it goes back to where we started, though. You know, Why don't people do that? They simply don't build it in, and they, they don't have it priced into their services in a way that allows for them to have uh, those investments in their team. Now, what about those small businesses that really haven't set up that infrastructure already to offer these type of benefits that are maybe a little bit more old school and just haven't had to do this type of thing? Are they a lost cause or are there other options for them? Yeah, it's never too early to get started. and It's never too late. Uh, you really should be looking at this on an annual basis. And if you already have something in place, you should be looking at it at least once a year to see what else you can be doing. So for those who haven't gotten started yet, I think it's, it's a great opportunity to enhance the benefits for the people already working with you or for your own needs as a business owner. This is a chance to open the door and start being more intentional about how you're using the proceeds of your business. And so I think it's something you should jump on you know, at any time. Uh, and depending on your business industries right now, that after all the COVID shutdowns and all the fluctuations we've had in the economy, what we've seen is some businesses are having their best years ever. And so if you're one of those businesses that's you know, really thriving right now, what a great opportunity to, to look at uh, your bottom line and say, okay, what do we want to put towards um, our employees or to our own needs for the future? And um, a lot of people procrastinate saying, oh, it's too late, it's too late. Well, it's better late than never. And I think that's key that people at least get started. And once most people get exposed to the tax benefits that you can uh, enjoy by saving for your future, a lot of them start to get more and more motivated 
And then uh, once they see their savings balances grow, uh, it's a little bit addictive. And then you'll find that it becomes a habit and it wasn't so hard uh, once you got the ball rolling. It seems like that this is something that people would kick themselves for not getting started earlier, but it's nice to know that they're not a lost cause, right? Uh, Yeah, and I often find a lot of parallels between what we do in the personal finances. I see a lot of parallels with personal health, and I actually have a sister who's a very successful gym owner in Southern California, and we talk all the time about how crazy it is, the parallels. It's sort of like your fitness. Maybe you haven't been exercising a lot or eating well. What does that mean? You should continue not to exercise or eat well? No. Um, You should, you know, at the first opportunity, you should start making better decisions with your health. Same thing with your wealth. You know, it's never too late to just start making better decisions for the next week, the next month, and move yourself in a more positive direction. So easy to get discouraged in both those areas, you know, health and money. Um, But we have a lot of control over both. And the key is just to get started and start working uh, towards a better future. And one of the key things you can do there, like I said, is, and this is a little bit um, biased on my point, but I think having a professional, having a financial advisor or some sort of an accountability partner on this is very helpful because that person can not only explain to you the tools that are available for your situation, but also uh, hold you accountable and encourage you and uh, make sure that you stay on the right track over time. One of the things that is ringing out to me is the idea of creating that culture And also part of that culture is being generous and being charitable. I know with your business, Brian, that you guys have a big part of your business of being charitable. Um, And I know you personally is serving on the board of the New Mexico Christian Foundation, that charity is a big aspect for you. Um, You always see those stories of the big companies highlighting how their employees have given back so much or that company has given back so much money. It's hard for a small business to compete on that level, but how can a small business do that, be charitable with their finite resources? Exactly. Uh, One of our core guiding principles is generosity and the idea that we want to give sacrificially. Uh, So we define generosity as giving to the point where you're giving more than you would like to give, (laughs) meaning that there's something I'm not doing because I'm giving to you. Um, So that's key. And yeah, we give regularly as a company. We support um, generosity efforts with our team members. One of the ways we actually uh, sort of bonus our employees is by giving to a donor advised fund, which think of that almost like a charitable checking account um, so that they can give more to charity uh, than they might otherwise give. Um, We do matching gifts with our clients, so when they give to certain charities, we will match their gifts um, to help encourage generosity and and connect our clients with nonprofits that fit our values. And we actually track the amount our clients give away on our website. We're over $26 million now since 2012 that our clients have given away. So this culture of generosity is a big part of what we do. Now we're working with money every day, so it's sort of a natural fit for us to talk about different ways to use money, including charitable giving. Uh, So it's more natural for our industry than it might be for others. But our corporate giving is part of that generosity message. And so I think it goes back to what we were talking about with building in a percentage of your revenue to go towards benefits. It's the same thing with charity. Predetermine how much you'd like to give uh, to nonprofits and causes in your community uh, around the country or around the world. You know, you set your priorities. And there's some wonderful stories of companies whose primary focus, part of their mission, is to make profits so that they have more money to give. And I've had a chance to work with some wonderful business owners who give 
in very creative ways and they give very consistently. And it's also a great opportunity to get your team members involved, your employees, because you can bring them into the conversations about where should we give, how much should we give, uh, how frequently should we give. You can bring your key leaders in and say, I want you to be part of our corporate giving. And again, it's another way to bring employees closer to the company, uh, have higher retention, and just get them more engaged with what it means to be part of your company. Uh, so it's something that uh, can be another motivation besides providing great service to your customers. You know, you know, turning some of your profits into charitable gifts, it can be very motivating for certain team members. It's nice to know that when a company has it built into their plan to be charitable, that it's not just a time to when they think, oh, we got this extra money, <laughs> let's start giving it away or something. You see a lot of it advertised on TV and such on how such and such proceeds will go to such and such charity. Do you think a lot of companies nowadays are gravitating to make charity and generosity a part of their overall mission? Yeah, and I think some do it very quietly because it's more about um, what it means to them as a company. Some are doing it very overtly, almost as a marketing effort, and I'm not going to badmouth that at all. I think that's another good approach. Um, so if you, um, you know, depending on your motivation, you might be very open with it and, and give consistently and build it in, uh, but think of it as a component of your marketing budget. Um, there was a, a company I was talking to recently, they have an orthodontics practice in the Midwest, very successful in a small town, doing a great job, and they authentically want to engage the community. But as an orthodontics practice, they also benefit significantly by being visible in the um, in the youth programs, sports programs, and things like that. So they want to support uh, health. That's a big part of their priorities. So they give a lot to um, local sports organizations. So they're the kind of place where you go to the Little League field and there are billboards up there. So they are getting the marketing part of that, but it really reflects their values. So your giving can have a dual purpose, not just to impact the community, but to also show your company in a positive light and say, hey, here's where our values lie. We believe in investing in our youth. We believe in investing in our seniors. We believe in investing in, you know, whatever it might be that's important to your company. So looking at your values and deciding, you know, what do we want to support? And then, you know, how do we want to promote that amongst our employees or in the community can be a big deal. And then it just becomes part of your culture. And, um, and what you're seeing more and more, especially with the new generation of employees coming up, sort of the millennials and, uh, and below, they will often choose their employer not based on the salary, but on the benefits, the flexibility, and the culture and values of the company. So if this is something that's really front of mind, you're really living out these values of generosity uh, in very specific ways, that can be very attractive for these employees, employees. And they may choose you over a higher paying job, partly because they see their own values reflected in the way that you're stewarding your company and those resources. We've touched upon being charitable, as a company having also plans in place for financial security for the business owner and also for their employees. But there's a subject that a lot of business owners do not like to talk about, and that is what happens to my business when I decide to retire? What's the succession plan? It's a really one of those issues that people just try to avoid and or not talk about ever. Um, I'd like to get your input on that since you're an expert uh, in that field. Yeah, so um, my business partner, John Moore, and I, um, we did write a book. It's called In Succession, 
a step-by-step journey for continuity. And we wrote that because we had what turned out to be a very successful succession plan. And in our industry of financial services, uh, that's not always the case. A lot of plans fail. Uh, so here we are, a bunch of planners in our industry, supposedly, and our, our succession plans don't always follow through. So, so we thought it'd be good to share some lessons there. So in the book, it's actually two books. Uh, one is meant to be for the predecessor or the founder, and the second book is for the successor. And they go chapter by chapter through the same topics, but written for uh, the point of view of each party. And at the end of each chapter, there's two to four questions to ask yourself as the predecessor or successor. And then there's a few questions to ask the other party to get the two uh, people talking. So communication is a big part of good succession. And so we put that resource together to be uh, something that these business owners um, and founders can you know, bring to the table with their potential successor and start good conversations and be very intentional about how that handoff is happening. And it's a big problem in our industries, a lot of professional services in particular, because of the nature of demographics. You have this big group of baby boomers who have been uh, starting and leading businesses for decades now, and um, now they are reaching retirement age. And they're getting to the point where either they don't want to or they cannot, you know, through health reasons, continue running that business. So there's handoffs happening all over the place uh, to Gen X and millennials. Uh, who are ready to lead those companies going forward. So we have to be intentional about this or else it's a big loss to those employees of those companies, the customers. It could be a big loss to the founder uh, himself or herself as well because if you don't get a good succession, a good handoff, sometimes you don't get the full value of your company upon a sale. So it's a big topic right now. I can't help but think that this sounds like a last will and testament of a business. (laughs) But it's something that it's true and it needs to be addressed. And like wills, they can be changed. These plans can be changed too, right? Right. And I kind of think of it in two ways. You have your emergency succession plan that you should have the first day you step into your business. Once you have customers and employees that you're committed to, you should have some sort of an emergency succession that says, um, you know, the dismal deeds. If I have a death, a disability, divorce, if I can't keep doing this business, what is the emergency plan? And that's the not so fun part, like you talked about. That's kind of the equivalent of the will uh, or the power of attorney of just what happens if. So that's sort of the automatic piece, and that needs to be revisited periodically. And then there's the actual succession piece where you are now making the intentional decision that my time has come, that I need a new leader, I need a new owner involved with this business. How is this going to happen? And you're exactly right. That's something that can be revisited and needs to be a very intentional process. I'll be honest with you, our succession plan, we spent eight years handing off the leadership of this company, and uh, it was like a part-time job. You know, it was something we had to be intentional about. It had its own tasks, its own time dedicated to it. It required a whole different skill set than our day-to-day work. It was another whole role within the business, but I wouldn't have done it any other way. We took our time with it. We did it as a very steady handoff, and we learned a lot of good lessons along the way. I I think one of the lessons that can be highlighted here is that even though this whole realm of transitioning a business from founder to new ownership can be very threatening, it could be potentially very heated. I think one of the things that can be learned is that these relationships can actually be smooth 
and it can be not as heated and not as threatening. And it's nice to know that you can mend together in a nice fashion, even over time, as you change plans and go forward, that these type of things can be done in a positive way. Right. I think the key is to start with shared values. It's always going to be hard to hand off your company to somebody else if you know they are not going to continue your values. And that may not always be the case. You know, I think of it in terms of continuity. Continuity implies things are going to be similar and continue progressing. When I think of that word continuity, it's going to continue. Whatever we've been doing will continue to be done. Some business sales are simple transactions. It's a merger. It's an acquisition. It was my company. Now it's yours. You do with it what you will. So uh, some people look at this differently because they don't really consider their business something they want to see continue. They just need a transaction and a check. Uh, but if you're really doing continuity, the key is to start with shared values because someone with different values is unlikely to come in and respect what you want to do, continue doing things the same way, and honor the culture that you've built in your company. So you have to find a successor that might that needs to share your values. This is one of the challenges when people automatically choose their son or daughter as a successor is that people are approaching it like, oh, well, it's my child. Obviously, he'll keep the business going like I would or she'll keep the business going just like I had planned. Uh, not always the case. Your children don't always share your values. So sometimes uh, the automatic error is not the best one. So starting with values is so important. And then you've got to set the expectations. So setting good expectations as to what does this mean? You know, how is this going to progress? Uh, what does it mean that you're stepping in as a successor? How fast is this going to move? What's expected of you as the next owner? And how are you going to treat this company going forward? Uh, that's huge. Uh, and then keeping the communication going so that you're constantly in dialogue about how's it going? Uh, did I miss some of your expectations? Uh, what can we be doing better? Uh, and communication goes beyond just the predecessor and successor. Are you communicating the change to your, your vendors, your key employees, your uh, key customers? All of those are stakeholders in a good succession plan. So how is that dialogue working? So it, all of this is what we learned. This is all swirling around our business while we were still focused very much on taking care of our employees and our customers. So it, you can see why it becomes almost like another job. I do think it's pretty cool that you guys put together this book, In Succession, A Step-by-Step -Step Journey for Continuity, in a two-book series, so to say, that it's one from your perspective and your relevant position, and then also from your business partner's position, and how those two things meet and how the communication and problem-solving happened. As we've learned in law school, you got to communicate, and especially in a topic like this, communication is key. Because if you don't communicate, you can get in a lot of trouble. Right. And communication, part of that is putting things in writing as well. It's not just what did we say we're going to do, but what are we committed to doing and what am I going to sign a commitment toward, you know, as a letter of intent or a contract to move forward. Um, you know, so here's a good example. I'll, I'll read you a couple of the questions from our chapter on values. You know, can we articulate the story behind the current values? So if I'm taking over a company and there's three core values or 10 core values or six core values, can I as the successor explain why those are the core values of the company? And if not, what a great dialogue to have with your predecessor. You know, what behaviors are being encouraged or discouraged by these values? You know, values and behaviors have to align or else you end up with 
uh, just the values are printed you know, somewhere in a pamphlet or maybe hanging in a plaque on the wall, but what behaviors are we encouraging with those values? And then how do we ensure that those values remain consistent, not just consistent during the handoff, but then going forward beyond the handoff? Uh, and if the values are, need to be added, changed, or clarified, how do we go about doing that? What's the process if the successor does not agree with all the values that something needs to be taken away or added or edited? You know, these are important conversations, and you can imagine if you've been running a company for 20, 30, 40 years and someone wants to come in, you know, these are things that you should be aligned on uh, if you really want continuity and succession and not just an acquisition. It's nice to know that these topics are serious in nature but not necessarily doom and gloom. And it's also nice to know that as small business owners, you can put together a package of benefits that can create a culture in your company that makes your employees feel valuable and then in return makes you feel good as a business owner. It's not necessarily doom and gloom because you don't have the humongous amount of money like some big corporation. Uh, I want to wrap up here with something that we talked about earlier, and it's one of the key things here at Campbell Law. It is leading with purpose. Uh, Brian, what does leading with purpose mean to you? I think it means that the business has to be more than just profits. Uh, when I think about our company, you know, what's the purpose? We often talk about how money is a tool. And so you really need to know not just do I want more money, but why do I want more money? I want more money to do what? And I think of that for our company. I want our company to thrive and grow, but to what end? And our purpose is really to give people financial peace in their decisions and help them find a sense of contentment so they can be more generous to help them come to an understanding that at some point they have enough money so that they have more to free up for the benefit of others. And so that's our purpose and that's our calling is to help people make wise decisions so they can go from a feeling of scarcity and fear to a feeling of abundance and then generosity. And again, you think about our employees, if, if that means they need to be doing forms for a client or you know, setting up a review meeting for a client or doing some rather boring, menial task, if they know that the end result of those tasks combined is that we can have a relationship with a client to help them have more purpose with their money and to be more generous and have a better community impact, that gives them a sense of calling in their work. So that idea of purpose goes from high level in the company all the way down to an understanding that each of us have as members of the team. And then that bleeds down into each task that we commit to every day is there's a purpose behind this and it moves to a higher cause and a higher benefit than just filling out this form. This is one small step that helps us serve a greater purpose for our clients. Hey, Brian, thank you very much for joining us on the Campbell Law Reporter on this episode. How do people learn more about you if they uh, are so inclined? Yeah, so um, our company website is John Moore, J-O-H-N-M-O-O-R-E, johnmoore.com. And we have great resources there. We have an insights page that's full of blog posts, uh, videos from thought leaders uh, in different uh, aspects of the financial world. Um, and we try to put a lot of resources up there just to keep people educated on what's happening in the financial world. So you can learn a lot more about us there. And uh, our books are also listed there if you want to learn more about the succession book we discussed today. 
Awesome, Brian. Thank you very much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to be on the Campbell Law Reporter. And uh, again, folks, that website is johnmoore.com. You can learn more about the company, about uh, the people over there, and also, like Brian said, more information about the books that we discussed today. Brian, thank you very much for being on the Campbell Law Reporter. My pleasure, Stephen. This is the Campbell Law Reporter. Thank you for listening to the Campbell Law Reporter podcast. We look forward to you joining us every other Wednesday at 7 a.m. for a new episode, which can be accessed through your preferred podcasting listening platform. This is the Campbell Law Reporter.